Carlos. Check one, two. Hello, hello, hello. Okay. Perfect. Okay, we're going to settle. And three, two. Hi, Carlos. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> I'm sitting with Carlos Navarro, giving him the rundown on how today's interview will go. What we always do on the Gratitudeology podcast is we just frame up first where we're at today. I want to hear a little bit just about what you are, what you do, whatever. Cool. And then we're going to go a little bit into your story because I know you have a doozy of a story. Yeah, you know, I've I, I done a couple things. Yeah. I've been around the block a couple mm -hmm. times like Jenny. And this is very, very true. Carlos Navarro is an actor. Who dares trespass on the sovereign nation of the kingdom? You can see him in shows like The Walking Dead, Marvel's Hawkeye, and more. He's a legendary radio personality. How you doing? Carlos Navarro, Radio 104 by what? And uh, this is 80s. And then if you want to go a little bit more transcontinental, we'll be back in a second and you'll be in the catbird seat. And while he'll give you just about every old-timey radio voice in the world, the reality is he's hosted one of the number one iHeart radio shows in Orlando for an astonishingly long time. But uh, yeah, do a morning show. That luckily has been for about 20 years. The it's Monsters, Monsters in, the morning, in the Morning, and uh, yeah, it's on Real Radio 104.1, but it's one of the big iHeart radio, radio media iHeart. shows. And he's a full-time character. Find it on the app, YouTube. You know, you're probably watching this on YouTube, The YouTube, too. yep. The kids are watching the I'm YouTube. familiar with the YouTube yeah. and the TikTok. And the TikToks. A true character. When you're a hustler, baby, I just want you to know. I got 16 jobs all over where I go. So I have a couple other jobs. Yeah. He does have a couple other jobs, as they say. Because today, Carlos is also a personal development coach and motivational speaker. You see, Carlos is primed to motivate and inspire people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Because the first person he ever had to drag out of a ditch was himself. Today, we'll hear how a through line of strong, powerful women shaped the man he is today, and how almost losing one of them taught him perhaps the biggest lesson in gratitude to date. Today, we get real with Carlos Navarro. Welcome to the Gratitudeology Podcast. Would you ride through the storm? Will you walk on a wire? Will you save me if I fall? Will you break through the madness? Set us down where we're safe. I'll be right here waiting till you find me again. So can we go back? Sure. To the beginning. All right. Okay. Hmm, where's the beginning? Where's the beginning? Is it 1980, a young boy born in Queens, New York, to a wild mom who uh, who didn't take any shit and taught me at a young age a very real way of living? Carlos's mother knew what it was like to live with resilience. She was a part of the Cuban exodus a time in the late 50s which brought waves of immigration to the United States due to political repression and disillusionment with life in Cuba. So, on political asylum and with a determination in her heart to make a better life, Carlos's mother found herself 
in New York City. What she lacked in external resources at the time, she made up for with her internal resources. And it was this that she would pass along to her young son. She struggled with her own issues, uh, but was couldn't have loved me anymore and said, baby, you're going to be a star. Just like Rob, just like Robin Williams. You see him up there? You can do that. You can. So at a little young age, I don't know why she would infuse me with this, like, you're going to be a star. So I would love to hear another story or two about your mom. Oh, she sounds great, like great, a, great. Yeah. she sounds like somebody I want to be best friends with. I got to tell you. <laughs> you would. You, you know? Would. Yeah. She was a Tripolicia Valido Navarro. You never forget meeting her. She was the life of the party. She could speak perfect Spanish and English, tell you about your ass one second, and, and tell you a story of when I met Lucille Ball. It was 1967. I'm in there, I'm having my champagne, and who do I look? Lucille Ball, my idol. And I listened to her speak, and she speaks perfect Spanish. We chatted all night. This woman was uh, quite the entertainer. She missed her calling, I think, ultimately, not being on a stage. She had no father, you know, uh, literally from Cuba. That's right. Deep down, his mom knew that she belonged on stage. It was in her bones, but it wasn't in the cards. So she encouraged her young son's creative talents in whatever form they came. But I stole this helium balloon, and we had a car full of people, and like my sister, and I have it in the car, and there's a song going on, and I start going, it's annoying. It's like, could you imagine how annoying? She's like, you're doing it perfectly. So I had this like unwavering love like that I hung the moon. She taught him not only how to boldly follow his creative calling, but also how to be scrappy, bold, and unapologetic. So we go to Chinese, Chinese, a uh, China King buffet. Okay, mm -hmm. my mom and I, you know, what we used to do we used to go to the flea market on weekends. She'd get her hair cut by two gay bikers. Okay, I'd sit there. She'd be like, "They're the best. Nobody else in Orlando knows how to do it." <laughs> okay, so what, you want to go to a buffet, Carlos? And before we left, I noticed she had this big ass Tupperware thing. <laughs> so we go into this ghetto China King buffet that I personally love because I'm. Ghetto. <laughs> so I'm like, look at that sesame chicken, like, baby. I know you like that sesame chicken from here. I'm like, yeah, mom, I do. And I'm like, on my third ball, and you can see these guys, they're kind of looking. And then she's like, are you done? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, mom, we've been here for like an hour. She takes out the tub, we're like, <laughs> it's as big as this, right? And she's just walking. You can smoke right then. So she had a cigarette. <laughs> she had a cigarette, she's ba, ba. Ba, 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 ba. Walks back over, sits down. You know, the, the, the man, ma'am, you can't, you can't do that. What? I was told this isn't all you can eat. I'm offended and I'm leaving. I'm paying and I'm going. And she got up and left and she's like, I eat that sesame chicken for a week later. Huh? I'm sure. So that's, that's my mom. And like, and, and now, it was, it, there was another side of it that was not the fun thing to see as a kid. The other side? 
was alcoholism. His mother, who was full of personality, spunk, and love, also struggled deeply with her own demons. And for all of her love and charisma, it added a big element of instability to Carlos's young life. Still, her words of inspiration were enough to light his flame and to teach him that when all else fails, use humor. But at a young age, I'd already gotten this, like, you, you entertain or make people laugh. You, Carlos, you have it. You're a mimic, all this stuff. I didn't know later that that was building this infrastructure of confidence that you need to really l make it in the entertainment or basically anything. Carlos felt the tug of contradiction that so many young children feel. His mother was deeply flawed and deeply loving, both at once. He had sometimes felt protected, at others felt rejected. Um, my, unfortunately, my mom was, uh, came up um, at a time where mental health was not talked about. Mm -hmm. It was shunned upon. She had no help. She was, has post-traumatic issues from being left from an island in the middle of a revolution. And, and so she drank a lot. And pills were plenty then. I didn't know what I was growing up and seeing. Um, I was her baby, but I was also the reason she was a lot of the times doing what she was doing. Right. And so there was a lot of guilt. And Did she tell you that? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. You know, and she was in a messed up place, man. And I was in a messed up place when I got older. And, and so, yeah, there were suicide letters directly given to me, you know, like... Like, I don't even, you know, I, I don't know since we're sharing it. There was, yeah, there was, some, there was some deep stuff there that I've had to get over. And so in the midst of that, I was like, F it. In my high school year, I was like, F it. I really haven't talked about this, like, in this, like, I'm kind of, like, getting it out with you, Jamie. Yeah. You should be a therapist. Yeah. Huh? Um, but, um. And while I'm not a therapist, I do know how to hold space for someone who is sharing something incredibly relatable that when it comes to the people we love, two things can be true at once. That a mother can be an incredible inspiration and incredibly damaged, both at once. And the duality of that can make the experience very complicated to unpack, especially as a teenage boy. But I guess that's what it was. I didn't feel like, well, screw it, fuck it. And so I got arrested and I drank a lot and I fought a lot and I got arrested and High, like high school, juniors. Anyway, I got into some trouble, but I wasn't a bad kid. Good and bad. Such intense monikers for human beings, don't you think? Is it ever that simple? Carlos looked up to his mother, this amazing, flawed, hilarious, pained, complex woman. And eventually, he'd come to follow in her footsteps in more ways than one, and even have a chance to look back in gratitude and carry out her legacy. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So back to this. She took care of me and taught me some street smarts. And, uh, and I know she's watching over me. I fully believe. Relationships with family are so wrought. We can look up to them in all their magic and still feel hurt by the things they did. When we get older, we see our parents for who they are 
fellow travelers just trying to do their best on their journey, despite a tough world, a tough life, just like we are. I often say that addicts or alcoholics aren't bad people trying to get good. They're sick people trying to get well. Mm. You know, your mom putting that on you, you know, she was doing the best that she could. Right, 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 right. And you can have that. I can tell that you don't want to talk about some of it because you have a lot of empathy for her. Mm Mm-hmm. You can have empathy for her and still hold your own pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just really, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. So you get into trouble. Mm-hmm. At this point, Carlos was in his 20s. He made it through high school with plenty of battle scars and a few arrests on the old record. But he was determined to take the confidence his mother had thrust upon him and to use it for good. And he lands his first gig on the radio. Now, He's playing with the big boys, and he does what he was taught to do growing up. Drink, make jokes, and show lots of bravado. Only one night, he's at an industry event when it backfires. Oh, man. Well, I lost it all. Um, I got arrested for the third time. I fought, like... Man, it's like I fought another radio personality that I was friends with. Carlos is 27. He's a hard worker, a big drinker, and apparently a loudmouth. If the internet would have been the internet what it is now, it would have been this viral story. And it was all because I was drinking. I drank all day long on a St. Patrick's Day. And one thing that my, my basically they fired me. At this point, Carlos had met the next woman whose love and loyalty would come to save his soul, his wife. So luckily, I have an amazing wife who stayed by my side. She was his rock, and he was unemployed. And it was 2007, not the best year for the economy. And so what, you know, because you could have just kind of gone down the path of like mediocrity at that point. So what was the spark? Oh, when you just said that, I thought of the moment of that, the total mediocrity. I was in the back of a Kmart dressed as a chef selling slicers. Selling what? Slicers, Jamie. Not stocks and bonds. Not annuities. Not even real estate. Slicers. You like you know when you go to the store, you see a dude and he's dressed up and the and the whole thing. And he's like, get your slicer. That was me. That was me. And this was right after my radio gig. So what are slicers? Uh, mandolin slicers. You mandolin know slicers. Okay. So now you're going and you're like selling products in the back of the store. I am selling in the middle of the store. It'd be better if if I would hide. I'd have to get on the market. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a great opportunity for you. In real life. He was selling slicers at a discount store. But in his head, Carlos never gave up on the promise his mother had made to him about his potential to be a star. And I had to be auditioning. So I would literally get these auditions for like Walking Dead, be in the back of uh, like get the audition, have to go home, record an audition, not get it, go back out, sell slicers, get another audition, not get it. And just what happened was, is something that I always say, boys make choices, men make decisions. And at a certain point, I started making decisions. And I was like, I'm not going to quit ever my dream of succeeding as an actor. 
I've already got this. I got other people believing me. I'm not going to quit on my dream of, of, of just being successful overall. I was, I remember smelling like vegetables. I would do a 20 little minute show of like slicing. And I learned a lot. This is not dissing that job, but it's not where I wanted to be. And I was like, holy crap. There's a line from uh, Panic at the Disco and it says, losing the feeling of feeling special. Mm. And I had lost it. Mm. The song actually goes, losing the feeling of feeling unique, which is something I don't actually think Carlos ever fell victim to. In his head, he insisted that more was coming. Yo, I had nothing. We, it was my wife and I, and we kind of hunkered down, and we had some family help a little bit here, and we just kind of like took step by step. But you can't give up on that dream, because if it's whispering to you, it will be yelling to you more and more. But you can't stamp it out. It's your moral obligation to seek out and, and fulfill the passion that is screaming in the back of your head. Because some people don't have it. Mm-hmm. Your mom's missed opportunity. You were not going to miss it twice. Damn right. right? Damn right. Damn right. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. I just got to reshift. I got to grow. I got to get better. And ultimately, you know what it was? I had to become a better man and person and father. And that fixed everything. So how did you do that? Well, quitting drinking was the most important thing I had to do. This would begin the back and forth. Carlos would stop drinking and get his radio job back, which was tricky because his radio show was nothing but drinking. So he would stay sober for a while and then... Because it was like, I can remember this California pizza grill, just small California dinner. pizza kitchen? Yeah. You, you went out in a California pizza kitchen? No! I just remember the moment. It was really weird. But we were sitting there at one dinner, and and I remember it was a glass of red wine. And I, and I think it was kind of like, man, you want to have a glass of red wine? Because like, we were so far. It would have been years at this point. So no, nothing remotely close happens like I turn into. So it's like you get away from the beast, right? And you're like, and then you're, and then the devil on your body goes, remind them how, you know, you weren't that bad. I mean, it, it, most of the time, and the rationalization starts, and then you're, and then all of a sudden, because we are who we are, we could convince the devil to take a trip to Africa. So, yeah, Carlos was busy in that constant fitness match that alcoholics have with their inner demons. They say your disease is always doing push-ups in the background, just waiting for a crack in your veneer to come in and pounce. And when it pounces brought me to the moment where my wife said, I'm going to leave you. If if you're not done with this shit, I can remember slamming it. Bah! Slamming it. What the? F-? It was like an afternoon. Ready? When I, my final day of drinking. My final day of drinking was like October 13th. It was like a Friday the 13th. It was like a creepy day. But beer of the week, last segment of our show. That's right. As if sobriety isn't hard enough, the show Carlos hosts is specifically geared towards bro culture, including drinking beer. But I'm drinking Captain Morgan, like, shots at 11.30 a.m. And rationalizing with my wife, like, no, it's just shots, but it's, it's Captain Morgan, it's not whiskey, and I promise you I wouldn't drink. Like, how pathetic. 
pathetic. And she took it. And I would get mad at her. I get mad at her. Man, you're just not letting me be who I want to be. And this is who I am. And when, when, when. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. My mom. And this is who I am. And you should change. Fuck that. God bless her, man. She put up with all that shit. And when I had my daughter already, she was four. And thank God she's never seen me drink. You know what I'm saying? Like how I, powerful you know that saying. is. And so that day I never touched. I made a decision to never drink again. So your wife loves you until you can love yourself. Boom. And now you're getting clear. Yeah. And I would imagine things start to fall into place. So, yes, this is when things began to fall into place for Carlos and shifts his energy. And all of a sudden, all those auditions start paying off. Uh, I booked my first big gig, Identity Thief, which is on Netflix right now. But like, like it made the trailer and like it was with Jason Bateman. So I got, I got just enough love every year to validate and make me feel like, okay, I'm on the right path. I book another role. I book another. But then Walking Dead was the treasure, the biggest show in the world. And it's right in Atlanta. My God. And this is right at the, like, like. I'd been fired. I booked prison break. I was like, you know, a couple things. And, and, and I can remember my first audition. And I get it. And my daughter is in her baby, like just a little uh, baby seat. And I get it. I'm like, okay, Megan. I go, Megan, I got a Walking Dead audition. Yeah, it's one line. But it's a Walking Dead audition. And I'm like, let's go. And so I do it. Hear nothing back. And this was Slicer days, right? <laughs> Fast forward five years. And I'm sitting there on my 15th audition for Walking Dead. Now, once again, I'm gonna, this is a, um, a running thing in my life. When I make a decision to stick to something, I'm going to do it until I'm done. One day I get woken up out of a nap from the executive producer and email Scott, and he's like, Carlos, I'd like you to audition for a part. Out of the blue. Now, mind you, three weeks before that, my wife goes, I shouldn't say three weeks before that. It was three, I got this three months after I quit drinking. That night, and multiple times, my wife would look at me and go, and excuse my French, but she, I deserved it. You fucking idiot. The second you quit drinking, you're going to book The Walking Dead. You think you're going to get rewarded for this? And they're like, man, because I'm so much fun as a chunk. And then the universe goes, of course she was right. And in the same way, manifesting and not giving up and, and using your affirmations and, and all these other things, my notebook, and the, you, you focus in on it enough, and it's going to conspire in one way. Now, it's up to you whether or not you're going to see it or not. Because what if I would have said, nah, they don't want me. And I'll get all butthurt and victim and oh, no. And I would watch the people who booked it the next week. And I'd be like, or, you know, when it would come on, I'd be like, that's even more brutal, right? I don't get it. Then I see the people. Now, most of the time I was like, well, they're different. You know, he's this, that. And sometimes I'd be like, all right, he looks a lot like me. <laughs> but I get the call. Fast forward. I shot two seasons of The Walking Dead. Nine episodes. My career goes in a totally different direction. But ultimately, I want everybody in unit to, to know this crazy part. 
So I never met Scott Gimbal, uh, the, the executive producer, until the end of the rap party. At the end of the year, there's usually a rap party. And I was like, hey, man. I, I was telling Kari, like, the biggest stars on the show. I was like, hey, man, can you introduce me to him so I can say thank you? And he was like, I know he's not going to know who I am, but I just want to thank him, you know. He's like, yeah, man, no problem. I was Kari. He's like, the place King Ezekiel is a real cool dude. He's like, and, and he's like, oh, there he is. I was like, all right, cool. And I walk over, and as I look at him, and he turns, he goes, who dares trespass on the sovereign nation of the kingdom? And that's my line when I'm on a horse and I come in. And I'm like, um, Scott, I'm Carlos. He goes, of course I know you, Carlos. We've been watching you audition for the past five years. And I'm like, so you knew that I was? He goes, yes. We were waiting for the perfect part for you. That's why we named him Alvaro after Navarro. So... I was this close to my dream, but if you would have asked me, I would have said, man, they got me 15 auditions. I've been going, I, I think, you know, but I'm not, don't give up. Don't give up. And that's the test. And after that, I've told that story to motivate and, and I remember it because I have to remember it because it was such a monumental, like I'm sure a huge moment in your life that you were like, if I get this, holy crap, this manifesting and everything that every coach that we listen to and every person that we do, it works. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. That's crazy. Because when I think about what could have happened <laughs> if you had just given up, if you just kept drinking, if you had just not, you know, because you didn't have the ability to see life through a lens of gratitude. When we're in the muck, like we can't be like, you know what, but I should just be grateful. I got right, this right, radio right, thing. Right, right, right. Like you're stuck. You right. were just yes. stuck. Yes. But if you're lucky, you have people around you mm -hmm. that can be your buoys until, you know, until you get unstuck. Yeah. So, but now the fog starts to yes. lift. You start to really step into this gratitude for yes. these big opportunities. Yes. Tell me a little bit about some of the big stuff that's kind of come since Ooh, then. Man, it just all changed. Once the victim mentality left that the world was against me or my past or whatever, and it became more about what do we have in this moment? I became a master of the now. Good old Eckhart Tolle. Carlos is referencing Eckhart Tolle author of The Power of Now, a book that talks about the power of being aware of our present moment instead of losing ourselves in worry and anxiety about the past or the future. I think radio was one of those things that I was, that was meant for me in a sense because it's in the moment, right? You're broadcasting, you gotta be in this moment just like we are right now. And I'm really good at being there, listening. And, and so I think a lot of people unfortunately deal with anxiety and, and stress in a lot of different ways. And that was something that I didn't deal with. I had my own issues. How often do we realize that the things that previously stressed us out the most, the big job, the responsibilities, the chance to do big things, even if they scare us, that the gift exists right there, just inside the fear. We step into it, we walk through it, and we find that on the other side, was the growth we needed to get to the next big thing. Then I booked Marvel Hawkeye. Hawkeye is a series in the Marvel Universe with a bit of a different twist. Hawkeye doesn't have any superpowers. He's a street-level hero. He protects neighborhoods, not entire planets. It's a fresh take on the need for superpowers, even to fight our everyday battles in life. Uh, Enrique and the tracksuit mafia, bro. So I got to be a villain 
on a huge Marvel show and shoot for, you know, six months during COVID, an insane time. Shout out to my mom for making this all happen and all the people up in heaven that are like, no, we're going to change around the world to make you book a, a show. Like, it was a worldwide search to find us tracksuit mafia guys. One Poland, the other Canada, and me in, in Orlando. Your mom installed the buttons, but you're pushing them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. It, it, you're, you're so right. And um, so that to me, like as a person who had written out goals and dreams and just wanting to make an impact, I never was like, I need to lead a movie. And I think that's part of the success in, in my case and in my view is like, I never was like, I got to lead the movie and I have to be this. Kind of like Hawkeye, you don't need to be the biggest superhero on the planet to be a success. Sometimes success is about finding out how to make peace in your own hyper-local ecosystem, your family, your job, your community. That can feel like the greatest success of all. And I was like, no, man, I want to be part of the team. And that's also been a strength. It's like, I love working with people. And so I think that's why personal development comes very natural because I enjoy learning. And if I can help in a way... Um, and then what I realize is like, it's not the successes that connect you with people. It's your failures. Mm. And how you come through them. What you learn and how you come through on the other side. <laughs> exactly. So here's Carlos bobbing and weaving through life's ups and downs, finally hitting his stride. Everything feels perfect. And then... We were corresponding a couple months back about something and we were talking some business stuff. And then all of a sudden I opened up my Instagram the next day and I saw you post about your daughter. Mm -hmm. Tell us what happened. Yeah, it was, uh, this year was been a rough year with my three, I have a 12 year old, Lennon Love, shout out. And uh, my three year old Magnolia Hope. And she's always been a little spitfire. Ever since Jump, she has been one of these amazing, fun little babies, but sick a lot and we couldn't kind of figure it out it wasn't deathly or anything but just constantly sick i'm like wow this is so and they're like oh it's just kids or whatever and then she stayed sick and we couldn't get better and then she wasn't taking medicine and then they said oh it's a sinus infection and of course the mother like mom was like no this is not a sinus infection so we go to the emergency room they refuel her she's fine we take her home she's back in this really bad state, literally lifeless. I can literally kind of remember holding her and going like, wow, I've never had this experience of holding. Wait, what do you mean? She was like didn't taking eat for five, a nap was not, no, 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 no. what? Explain was not this. eating for several, like basically was not eating, was not drinking. The fever had reached and this is right after the hospital visit. So we're like immediately back in the emergency room. And we're like, okay, I guess we get the, the, the hydration back in her and the doctor comes over. No, her appendix is burst. Her appendix is burst. And it's very, very rare in a, a three-year-old. And actually at the time, she was two. So even rare. And we're like, what does that mean? Like, we have to scan her because she could basically be toxic right now. And it's like, oh, that's why she's basically not moving. It's because that's what happened. She had about a tennis ball size absence in her uh, that the appendix had burst and created this little abscess around it. And it was just sucking everything out, which created a sinus infection. And, you know, I, you know, we can go into, could you imagine with that little system, 
how it shuts everything down. So we were in the hospital for close to two and a half weeks. Well, wait a second. What went through your mind when they're like, no, this is actually touch and go? Extreme. Oh, you know what I thought? Holy crap. I'm in that moment that I would read on Facebook of other parents. You know, like when you read that post, you're like, poor God you're bless like, Thank them. God, it's, Thank not God me. it's not me. You kind of say it, right? And I was like, and I'd never had ultimately that moment. Like, yeah, we had some scary things. She bumped her chin or whatever and different things like that. But like, I can remember before being like, wow, the cancer or this or, and this wasn't, this isn't even cancer, but it's just like, we don't know. We're going to start with antibiotics. And if that works, then we kind of do this. But ultimately we're heading towards surgery to see how bad it is. And that's about as scary as it can get. Megan didn't leave this baby's side for two weeks because she couldn't leave the hospital room because she also had a virus on top of it. So for two and a half, like we're in this room. Now, mind you, God bless Advent Health. God bless them. We were in the top class facility with amazing people. And this little girl was tough. She's itty bitty. She's already a tiny two-year-old. But to see her strapped to everything, you know, I took off work and time and obviously so what does that feel like so i don't lose that i really remind myself every day when i get maybe i get frustrated because she's you know she's a little stinker you know and i love her to death but she's me as a three-year-old can you tell me a couple stories about her because she sounds fun she's a trip she calls me michelangelo now because she's donatella and the irony is I used to look at my grandma, the one who raised me, and say, Mom, Granita, in Spanish, Llamame Michelangelo. I used to tell her, call me Michelangelo, because I love the Ninja Turtles. And now, I, dude, Magnolia, you going to brush your teeth? She, Come on, Michelangelo. And so I got this, she's hilarious. She's like a little performer already. But Magnolia, what we lost was that. That was the scary thing, was this little funny, rambunctious, and that's life, right? Like in the midst of this crazy little girl running around, and when you're in a parent, you're like, oh my God, I just want one second to freaking breathe. I've I've been doing this all day. I get it. I get it. And you're like frustrated, but when they're sick and about to possibly die, you'd give anything to be at your most frustrated point as a parent. Is that not crazy? So I don't lose sight of that when I get frustrated, when it's late at night, when it's like, you know, and she's not going to bed or maybe she didn't want to brush her teeth. And I go, instead of being like, oh, come on. Go. And I will think of it. I will think of that little picture I took of her all strapped up and I shared it. And I remember people saying they just cried at the picture because you just see this little girl. And it's like that. It's like that. It's like that. At this point, Carlos shifts in his chair. I can tell he's sinking back into the reality of what almost happened. He turns to me, and his expression turns dead serious. People mess around, and they, they get mad at their kids, and they, don't, they get mad at the, 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 the freaking coffee was messed up. And they, they think about all the horrible things that are going to happen to them when they're 50 and their 401k isn't big enough. Shut up. Live now. 
Okay. Emergencies don't have a don't have a don't have a little. Hey, it's happening. Your everything's about to change. Your daughter's about to be in the hospital for two weeks. No. And if you, as a person, imagine I was a drunk asshole still, right? Imagine I just still was living my standard. My standard was no me. My standard was victim. Then who's my wife gonna depend on? Who's my twelve-year-old gonna depend on? Shame on me if that was the person that I was. And it very easily could have been. And that's what it's about, right? Sure, is it about to get better so you can get a better job? Sure, is it so you can get better to be healthier? Sure, is it? No, it's to be there in the moments for the people that love you so that they're not worried about you when they're also worried about their kid. Because we know those people, right? Yeah. You know, they got one drama going on, then then they make it worse by the decisions. And we've all been there. I've done it myself. But I'm just trying not to be like that and then share share that with others. You're doing a pretty damn good job of it. Thank you. Carlos's tagline is to the top. And what I love about his story is the admission that the climb to the top is not always linear. There are turnbacks that have to be navigated, but a bend in the road is not the end of the road so long as you make the curve. Thank you to Carlos for sharing your story of strength, gratitude, and resilience, and reminding us that the toughest moments in our life can teach us the greatest lessons. It's up to us to be a victim or a victor in the aftermath. That's all for today. Remember, if you like what you heard, if it impacted you in any way, and if you think it's a message other people in your life might like to hear, I'd be so grateful if you'd give me five stars, leave a quick little comment. Those things really help. And share this podcast with your friends, either on social media or just word of mouth. I'm on a mission for us all to help each other focus on expanding our attention towards what's good in the world rather than focusing on what's bad, one person at a time. If we all did that, even to our own little sphere of influence, the world has the potential to be a much more radically awesome place. Stick with me, friends. I've got your back. We're in this together, and it's a great day to see the greatness in the day. See you next time. The Gratitudeology podcast is written, executive produced, and hosted by me, Jamie Hess. Sound design and studio production by Gotham Production Studios. Our theme song is Maze by Hills, sung by Nadia Ali. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Gratitudeology. Will you walk through the fire? Would you ride through the storm? Will you walk on a wire? Will you save me if I fall? Will you break through the madness? Set us down where we're safe. I'll be right here.